0: Welcome to Faith of Our Fathers. Today, we feature Howard Hendricks, also known as The Prof. For over 50 years, he was a professor at the Dallas Theological Seminary. He mentored many Christian leaders, including Chuck Swindoll, Tony Evans, Joseph Stowell, and David Jeremiah. Hendricks was a keynote speaker for Promise Keepers, authored 16 books, and ministered in over 80 countries. Today Howard Hendricks presents a sermon on, What is Discipleship? The following material is copywritten by and provided courtesy of the Moody Bible Institute.
1: Yesterday we barely got our foot in the door in examining this exciting but exacting process of discipleship. We sought to ask and answer one basic question. Why? Why be concerned about discipleship? Is it a passing fad? Is it optional? Or does it have scriptural sanction? We focused our attention upon the great commission found in Matthew 28 and discovered that our Lord delivered this to a group of very ordinary men who experienced some extraordinary power. Natural men whose great claim to fame was their supernatural resources. He gave to those men a mandate make disciples, not decisions. But you will notice, he not only told them what to do, he also told them how to do it. What does making disciples involve? Well, the text says it involves going, baptizing, teaching, and teaching of a particular brand. Teaching people to obey the truth to which they are exposed. That's not a successive series. That's a continual series. It isn't when you finish going, then baptize, when you've done all of the baptizing, then teach. You continue to reach, to win, to teach, and to train. In order to win, reach, teach, and train. We found that that process is also linked with a promise. The promise is, lo, I am with you always even unto the end of the age. Not a carte blanche. Jesus Christ is not saying, I will bless you no matter what you do. He is saying, I will bless you if you do what I have commanded you to do, namely, make disciple. Ladies and gentlemen, whatever else you are doing or not doing, If you are not making disciples, you are not doing what the risen head of the church commanded us to do. That's a process which every time you launch in the life of another person, ideally never ends. Now today we want to ask and answer another question, namely the question, what? There's more confusion per square inch in terms of discipleship than almost any other term I can think of. You see, this is the buzzword, and this is a fadistic term. You know, everybody ought to have one. I asked a pastor some time ago, "You got a, you involved in discipleship?" Ah, oh, yeah. Well, right now. You know, as if I had one, but the wheels fell off. (laughs) What discipleship is will determine what you do. You see, if we are called to make disciples, then we need to ask the question, what is a disciple? I better know what it is that Jesus Christ has called me to make. I'd like to share with you today three basic concepts that spell out a biblical definition of discipleship. Charles Kettering said it, a problem well defined is a problem half solved. You want to refine a concept, define it. So let's see if we can explain what is involved in discipleship. The first thing I want you to note is that from the standpoint of the New Testament, a disciple is a learner. That's the meaning of the word. And if you have a Bible or New Testament, turn to Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30 that great invitation of Jesus Christ come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest but notice what that rest involves take my yoke upon you and learn from me underline that in your Bible that's the verb Form from which the noun Matheis, disciple, comes. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You'd never know that watching many of us in our compulsive activity in the evangelical community. I don't know how many Christians I find as I travel across America that I ask, "Hey, how you doing, man? Oh, I'm pretty good under the circumstances." So, well, what in the world are you doing under there? <laughs> this is where he spends the bulk of his life. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if a disciple is a learner, then the chief quality of a disciple's life is that he or she is a teachable individual. You see, in the spiritual realm, as long as you live, you learn. And as long as you learn, you live. If you stop learning today, you stop growing tomorrow. There is no such thing as marching time. You are either developing or you are deteriorating. There is no other option. But I have often wondered, do you think the average person goes to church with a full consciousness, I am going to school? Do they go to church to be equipped, to be educated, or to be entertained? always amuses me to go to the back of the church for what I have termed the glorification of the worm ceremony where, you know, after you preach, you go back and everybody comes back, shakes your hand. Oh, it was wonderful, brother. Oh, like listening to Paul. (laughs) By the way, will you people stop telling preachers that? Some of these guys are believing it. You know, I've often had the strongest urge to say to somebody who says, ha that was such a blessing. What did I say? (laughs) And you know, if their life depended on it, they couldn't tell you. See, I am convinced that otherwise intelligent individuals go to church and throw their mind into neutral. I used to teach a class for professional men, in the city of Dallas, there was a man who came to the class who was graduated from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology with several advanced degrees, highly sought after for his expertise. And the old boy would come, he'd fold his hands like this, look at me with his great big goo-goo eye. And one day we were having some coffee and I uh, said to him, hey man, I understand you went to MIT. He said, yeah, that's right. said, did you enjoy it? Oh, very stimulating. That's good. said, so did you ever take any notes there? You mean at MIT? Yeah. Oh, certainly. Reams of them. Good. Find them helpful? Oh, very helpful. You said it's my bread and butter. You know, it's my lifeline. Good. Did you ever think of taking any notes here? You mean here? <laughs> <laughs> You mean here in the Bible class? I said, yeah. No. He said, I never thought of that. That's a good idea. I thought it was. (laughs) So next week he comes with a clipboard. He's taking notes. Man, we're scarcely through the hour. That guy's catapulted out of the chair. He said, hey, Hendricks, I got a question. And my friends, he hasn't stopped asking questions since. In fact, when I return to Dallas after this several-week tour out in the conference circuit, I will guarantee you, I do not have the gift of prophecy, but I will guarantee you the first thing my secretary will say when I walk in the door is, he called. (laughs) And I'll have a whole list of questions because suddenly he was catapulted from the lunatic fringe right to the heart of the process. Ladies and gentlemen, did it ever occur to you that some of us have been in church and the Bible conferences 5, 10, 15, 20 years and we still don't know the name of the game? We still can't work our way out of a wet paper bag. Now where you get tested on that is some of you really have discovered firsthand is in your family. Right? Don't look at me that way. Tim told you I've been teaching in the seminary for 33 years, but I want you to know I have never been asked the penetrating questions by my students that I've been asked by my children. See, so your children ask you, hey, Dad, how come we're doing this? You know, we're the only odd wad in this block. <laughs> and what do you say? Well, uh, we as uh, consequently we're from there as... Uh, uh, So, you have a choice illustration of that in Deuteronomy 6. When in time to come thy son asks you, Hey, Dad, what do the statutes and the testimonies and the ordinances mean? Then thou shalt say unto thy son, Son, go ask your mother. (laughs) You'll notice that in your Bible. That's the reversed standard version. (laughs) No, you see, that presupposes you are articulate concerning your faith. And ladies and gentlemen, it would revolutionize your church attendance. It would absolutely make your way at Winona Lake or any other Bible conference worth 20 times the investment If you would come knowing you are coming to get equipped. If you come with the mentality of a learner, of a teacher, of being taught by the Spirit of God so that you can learn. Now learning is changing. It's changing your thinking. So that you have an eternal perspective. That's why in Romans 12, too, he says, Don't allow the world to squeeze you into its mold, but be transformed, be metamorphosized. How? By the renewing of your mind. And that's what it takes. There's nothing in your culture that will essentially prepare you to be a biblical learner. What you are learning in the Word of God is 180 degrees in contrast to what you are learning in your society you see your society says hey man you only go around once in life you better grab all the gusto you can get Jesus comes along and says hey you want to save your life oh sure Lord good throw it away throw it away you you gotta be kidding Lord don't you know you only go around once in life better grab all the gusto you can get Jesus says no I don't think I remember that verse And the interesting thing is that the average person who'd never drink a drop of slits is shot through with that philosophy because he's never sat down to think. Do I buy that? Does that represent my value system? You see, coming to the Word of God develops a radical process of thinking. And by the way, we've got our homework to do here. See, to the person on the outside, they think Christianity is the non-thinking man's filter. They think that to become a Christian, you know, you've got to put your head in a bucket and fire a forty-five in it. And commit intellectual suicide. You know, that's not what Jesus said. He said you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Don't ever forget it. And you are living in a generation exposed to the media that is brainwashing your mind. And you go to to church and you go to your Bible classes and you listen to your tapes and you read your books. But all the time your mind is programmed to a different value system that is diametrically opposed to what is taught in the Word of God. But not only is it changing your thinking, it's also changing your feeling. You ever discovered how many Christians there are who suffer from a severe case of the blahs? They're not excited by the truth, they're embalmed by the truth. Sir Walter Moberly wrote a book you ought to read sometime entitled The Crisis in the University, in which he leveled a tremendous charge at us as evangelicals for our lack of gospel penetration on the university campus. And in that book, he makes this statement. He said, if one-tenth of what you believe is true, you ought to be ten times as excited as you are. Do you hear what he said? He said, if you take your doctrinal statement and reduce it to one-tenth, and that one-tenth is what you claim it to be, you ought to be ten times as excited as you are. My friend, you ought to be frothing at the mouth. Fairly need to be led away with excitement. What I discovered in leading people to Jesus Christ, one of my greatest problems is not getting them to come to Christ. It's to get them into the Christian community. Because they come to church and they sit there and watch the elders and the senior saints sitting around. And I'll never forget one of them turned to me and said, "Uh, Hey, if I'm a Christian as long as he is, do I have to become like that? Well, that's too convicting. Let's move on. <laughs> it's not only changing your thinking. It's not only changing your feeling, it's also changing your behavior. See, it's moving into every area of your life. You different marriage partner? Or is it just as difficult to live with you now as it was before you came to the Savior? Maybe more difficult that does happen you know I was on one of these conferences grounds a couple of years ago and a guy came up to me and said you know brother I I haven't sinned in the last 12 years I said well sir I'd love to talk to your wife (laughs) I'd like about five minutes with your kids see I can pull the wool over your eyes any day but I can't impress that woman I can't impress my four children, now eight of them, because all four are married. They know whether I got the real disease or not. I live with them. Does it affect your business? We call a lot of people Christian businessmen. They're not Christian businessmen, they're businessmen who happen to be Christians. But there are many areas of their business life in which their Christianity has absolutely nothing to do. I am so encouraged, ladies and gentlemen, I have never been more excited in all of my life in ministry as I am right now. As I travel back and forth across America, seeing the business and professional men working in the marketplace today who are determined to live according to Christian commitment. of the leading lawyers in the United States, told by a man at Harvard, one of the top five, walked out the front door of the corporation, told them they could hang it on their beak. I met him in San Mateo, California, walking the streets looking for a job, because the company said to him, hey, we're going to kick you upstairs, but you need to know, it'll probably cost you your family. He said, I'm not paying that price. May his tribe increase. I am so encouraged by men who've got the spiritual guts not to sell the soul of their family to the company store. That's what what Christianity is all about. Moves into your community so the people come over to your house and say, you know, what makes this outfit tick? You know I mean? It's obvious. There's something different about you. What is it? And then you have an opportunity, not to cram the gospel down somebody's throat, but in a most natural way to explain that it's only the supernatural that tells you why I'm like I am. I'm not naturally that kind of person. Well, the second thing I want you to know is that not only is a disciple a learner, a disciple is a follower. You see, the meaning of the word is a learner. But the usage of the term is one who follows or initiates the life and teaching of another. So, for example, Moses had disciples, John had disciples, Jesus had disciples. And that plunges us into the whole area of modeling. Stanford, I mean, Bandura of Stanford did the most extensive research in this area, and he calls it, I love his term, he says modeling is the greatest form of unconscious learning. You see, Christianity is often better caught than it is taught. For instance, what is it that bothers you most about your children? I'll tell you. They remind you so much of yourself. Why are you like that, son? Because you're my father. (laughs) Before my son was graduated from seminary a few years ago, in his senior year we were on the campus talking together, four or five other students. And finally, he excused himself because he had another commitment, and he started to walk down the path, and these students watched him, and they burst into laughter. And I said, what's so funny? He said, Prof, he waddles, just like you. (laughs) Depressing, isn't it? You know, so. help me, I can never remember once saying to him, hey Bob don't walk like that, that's straight walk like this (laughs) Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1, follow me as I follow Christ, I can still remember the first time I was exposed to that verse, it blew me right out of the water I said to myself, man, I would never say that to anybody. My friend, whether you say it or not, that's exactly what's happening. The real question is, are you following Christ? Because I'll guarantee you, they're following you. And the problem we are facing today is that most Christians are patterning their life after the Christian community. And the Christian community is going to pot. You see, the pattern of the Christian life is Jesus Christ. But people are looking for Jesus Christ fleshed out in human form. And my friend, the pedestals are empty. And that's the challenge I would give to many of you older people. You need to understand there are young people in this generation who are screaming to get a man or a woman just like you. Who would be willing to spend time with them as a model. We had a young man come to our seminary, married a very lovely young lady, comes from a tragic home. Her mother is a prostitute, her father a hopeless alcoholic. Five children in the family, she is the only one who has come to faith. Radically, supernaturally changed in her life. She comes out to the house and shows up and says, Gene, I'll do anything for you, all I want to do is to hang around you. I don't have a clue as to what it means to be a Christian woman, to be a Christian wife. Let me see it. And that's exactly where we are. I was in a barber shop some time ago and my little friend dropped in. He knows when I come and he stops in to see me because I spend time and listen to him and chat with him and give him autographs from the cowboys. And we were sitting there and I said to him, hey friend, who you want to be like when you grow up? I'll never forget that kid looking at me straight in the eye and said, Mr., I ain't found nobody I want to be like. <laughs> you think he's an exception? I got news for you. That's why we're hurting in our society. Just think of the leaders we have put up in the last 20 years to our young people. And ask yourself the simple question is that a worthy model does that kid want to be like that let's make it more personal anybody want to be like you anybody ever drool because they've been watching you the way you treat your wife your husband your kids The way you work in the company, such commitment, when everybody else is goofing around. Say, man, that's what I want. The third thing I want you to see is that in biblical terms, a disciple is a reproducer. I want you to jot down a verse of scripture that could change the course of your life. It's Luke chapter 6, the last part of verse 40. Listen to it. A pupil, after he is fully trained, will be just like his teacher. Please note, it doesn't say he will know what his teacher knows. It says he will be just like his teacher. You see, you reproduce after your kind. Would you like to reproduce yourself? How's that grab you? Well, I suspect some of you are honest enough to say, Oh, good night. No. That's the place to begin. And I want you to see three marks that Jesus gave of a distinctive lifestyle. First of all, I want you to notice that in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32... Jesus said, a disciple is obedient. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, that is, if you obey them, you are really my disciples. Then, please note the cause-effect relationship, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You see, knowledge begins with a commitment to obedience in the spiritual realm. And to know and not to do is not to know at all, biblically. That's why Jesus said, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. I can still remember the first time I read that. I said, Lord, you've got to be kidding. What else do you do with ears? Collect wax? All kinds of things except act the second characteristic of a disciple is that he is a loving person John 13, 34 and 35 a new commandment Jesus said I give unto you love one another nothing new about that that's found throughout the Old Testament but look love one another as I have loved you. Now that's radical. That's unconditional love. Ladies and gentlemen, if I could only put one thing in your mind and only extract one thing, I would extract every component's component of performance you have in your concept of love and I would replace it with unconditional love. See, many of us grew up with parents whose acceptance was always conditioned on performance. You do this, I love you. And if you did the right thing, nobody said anything. Just do the wrong thing. They'll let you know. They get eloquent in 27 languages. And you know, my friends, many of us are still on a performance basis with the living God. May I say something that may jar you at first? I hope it does, but you never recover from it. Nothing, nothing you can do will ever cause Jesus Christ to love you more. Nothing you can ever do will cause Jesus Christ to love you less. That. The biblical concept of love. And the way God relates to you is the way you relate to one another. I was out at a shopping center just the other day and I heard it. Every time I hear it I want to scream. I heard this lady say, Billy don't do that. Mommy won't love you. And I wanted to crawl underneath the concrete. So you may not love what your child does, but you always love your child. Jesus certainly doesn't like a whole lot of what we're doing. But he loves us without a string attached. And then he says, all men will know that you are my disciples if you bite and devour one another. Notice that? It's like Galatians 6, one. Ye, if a brother be overtaken in a fall Ye who are spiritual, club him Remember that verse? Oh, we've got so much to learn about this In the community of faith The third mark And that is A reproducing individual will have the distinctive lifestyle of fruit bearing. John 15, verses 8 and 16. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Showing yourselves, demonstrating to be my disciples. You did not choose me, but I chose you. See, that's the distinctive of Christianity. Christianity is not a work of man for God. It's a work of God for man. But why did he choose you? To give you an insurance policy to keep you out of hell? No, he chose you. The text says, in order that you might go and bear fruit. But see, fruit tends to spoil. So he adds, fruit, that will last. You are either producing permanent fruit... Or perishable fruit. 1 Corinthians 3. Look it up. Wood, hay, stubble, gold, silver, precious stones. Everything you do in the flesh will go up in the fire. The only thing will remain is that which you do by the power of the Spirit of God. And that's why back in verse 5 he said, without me you can do nothing. And we say, well that isn't true. You can do all kinds of things without Jesus Christ. You can get an education without Jesus Christ. People are doing it every day of the week. You can become a success, depending on how you define success, without Jesus Christ. You can become wealthy without Jesus Christ. We got people in our community covered over with money who couldn't care less about Jesus Christ. You can preach and teach without Jesus Christ. Most of us, unfortunately, have had too much experience in this realm. Particularly if we have been gifted by the Spirit of God. You can do all kinds of things without Jesus Christ. But you cannot be like Christ without Jesus Christ. You cannot produce fruit that will last without Jesus Christ. We are going to make disciples. We need to ask ourselves a searching question. What kind of people are we going to make? Well, we're going to make learners. We're going to develop people who are followers. People who are reproducing a distinctive lifestyle. They are obedient, loving, fruit-bearing individuals, and their fruit remains. You say, but how do you do that? Well, my friends, you cannot impart what you do not possess. Let's suppose that I were to tell you today that I was going to sell something after the service. Looking over the audience, there's some of you who can obviously use this. I'm going to sell some hair restoring oil. Uh, please don't laugh because people who have this problem tend to be very sensitive. Let's suppose I were to tell you I've got some bottles of hair restoring oil, special concoction of Texas herbs, guaranteed to put hair on your head. I'm going to sell them for two dollars a bottle. How many of you will buy a bottle? Well there's one man. Let's face it, some of you need it worse than he does. (laughs) Guaranteed to put hair on your head. What a skeptical audience this is, Ralph. You know what most of you would say, look Hendricks, bend over. If that stuff is so good, you get hair on your head, we'll buy a carload of the stuff. We'll franchise it for you in our area. But that's what's happening in the process of discipleship. We are trying to sell spiritual hair restoring oil, and we're as bald as can be. And you cannot impart what you do not possess. When you talk about making disciples, you've got to begin with yourself and say, Lord, am I a learner? Or have I stopped growing? Develop within me a fresh, teachable spirit. Lord, am I a follower? Not just following the Christian herd, but following Jesus Christ. Lord, am I reproducing in my life the distinctive lifestyle of an obedient, loving fruit-bearing individual. And when the Lord begins to develop that in your life, my friends, I'll guarantee you, you will become a maker of reproductive disciples in the hands of the Spirit of God. Father, take your word and drive it deep, not only into our mind, and our heart, but into our will. Give us an obsession, Lord, not only to know your truth, but to experience it. And thank you for what you're going to do even this day to conform us to Christ's image. We come with great expectation because we come through Christ, our Lord. Amen.
0: You've been listening to Howard Hendricks. Listen to Faith of Our Fathers each Saturday and Sunday to hear more great 20th century preachers.